perfect organism. Its structural perfection is matched only by its hostility. You admire it? I admire its purity, a survivor, and all clouded by conscience, remorse, or delusions of morality. I can't lie to you about your chances, but you have my sympathies. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 79 of the Seatstruck Movie Podcast. My name is John. Joining me today is my co-host, Curtis. Hello. And today uh, we're back on our long-awaited uh, second entry in our Ridley Scott Watch series. Um, I'm, in, I'm in full garb. You can't see, but I have uh, my rock, Rooking Foughten Alien. It's a glow-in-the-dark shirt, and I got my Aliens cap. I'm in full Very nice. alien pill mode. Uh, we're talking uh, Ridley Scott's 1979 film. The o- OG alien. one. <laughs> the OG one. I mean, probably like one of, it's one of the most famous films that we've covered on this pod to date. Um, mm. One of the most influential films, I think as well, like uh, a film that really was an important moment in, I think uh, the kind of sci-fi horror genre, like it codified a whole decade, multiple decades plus to this very yeah. day. Of films that are obviously inspired by Alien, not to mention the sequel Aliens, which also mm-hmm. kind of inspired yeah. a whole wave of action. We, we, we won't we won't talk about filmmaking. Alien Three, but I mean the video game was good. But I mean everything else, skip it. <laughs> well, the director's cut is is okay. Like uh, I'll <laughs> I'll say that. Uh, actually, before we even get into talking about the Alien stuff, did you for the sake of this pod, did you watch the director's cut or did you watch the theatrical? Because I I watched the theatrical. Cut. I think I watched the the theatrical cut too because i just watched it online yeah um but yeah i mean it's i kind of wish like because i mean this is so cool like coming just a few years after the, the original star wars too and it's one of those films you know like it's so popular in pop culture i kind of wish you know i could be there in 1979 seeing the theater and not know about yeah. like the face huggers and stuff because i feel like that would be even better for me but i mean it's still amazing coming back to it you just notice so many things Exactly. Yeah. So we're going to get into the movie, of course, talk about it. But before we do, um, as we like to like to do, we're going to start off talking uh, new entries into our watch list. So, uh, Curtis, has there anything new that you've been wanting to check out that you've that's come on your radar? Yeah. So I had a lot of fun with uh, Sleepaway Camp 2, <laughs> kind of a cult classic, too. And I I think Pamela Spring, Springsteen's in the third one too, so I kind of want to check yes. that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I had a lot of fun with that. Uh, so I mean, it might be. T- I heard the third one's not very good, but I, people said that about the second one, and I had a lot of fun with the second one. Well, uh, I heard the third one's way better than the fourth one. For oh, the really? Record, okay. So. Yeah, the fourth one I heard is avoidable. Uh, and I also want to watch uh, In Search of the Last Action Hero. Simon, one of our usual guests, recommended that. It's kind of like a In Search of Darkness, but um, it looks at eighties action movies. Um. I also want to watch the uh, docu-series The Twelfth Victim. This look, this is kind of like a true crime series, and it looks at the Charles Starkweather murder murders. And he was like this, this guy, this young guy, and he ran off with this girl, and basically they committed these murders. And it was kind of fictionalized in Badlands, uh, the Terrence Malick film, and uh, cool. you know, Bruce Springsteen too. But I think uh, obviously something that was underlooked is that you know he was this grown man, kind of basically kidnapping this underage girl to not something that's been kind of looked over. So she is mm. the, the 12th victim. So it's kind of an interesting angle on it. And I think a really important one. So I, I'd like to check that out. Um, I wanted to watch the movie uh, Citizen X. This is about a uh, real life uh, ch- a Soviet child killer at the end of the Soviet Union in the early 1990s. Oh, um, cool. It's a 1995 uh, American TV film. And uh, it stars... Um, Stephen Ree, Stephen Ree, I hope I said his name right. Uh, 
and uh, Donald Sutherland and Max von Sydow. And the killer is played by Jeffrey Dumont, who uh, is in the Shawshank Redemption and basically all of uh, Frank Darabont's films. So yeah, kind he's of in un- The Walking Dead, too, as well. I yeah, think. He, could Dale. <laughs> he could be anything. Yeah. So, I mean, like kind of unusual <laughs> choice for the, the, the serial killer. But I mean, he's a really good actor, I think. But I mean, I always just think of him in yeah. the Green Mile as such a likable guy. You know, Everything. Yeah, is always that's right. Likeable. So kind of an interesting turn of form i think for that so i want to check that out too the last thing i I added to my watch list uh i haven't been able to find it online too i think it's only offered as a dvd but it came out last year it's called out there um halloween mega tape the sequel to uh um the uh the the kind of uh w n u f and this is kind of like a oh really yeah i didn't realize this was a sequel yeah it came out last year and one of my uh one of my online uh uh horror, horror girls uh Brie, Brie Animator, uh, who's on Twitter, she's great, and she recommended. She always has good horror recommendations. So, oh wow! I wonder if it's on me. Shutter or something like that. Yeah, I hope, I, I hope so. WNUI, whatever the hell it's called, was yeah. was so for a bit. So, yeah, kind of cool. It's like a series of commercials, and then like it done in an '80s style, and then it leads up to some horror. I think so. This is kind of the continuation yeah. of it. So, um, that's everything I added to my watch list. What did you watch? You yeah, so I've got three. I got three on my list. I've got. To, I've been wanting to get into uh, more Indian cinema, and of course, this year, uh, the big kind of breakout film in Indian cinema, well, rather in in uh, a Telugu cinema, which really kind of blew up mainstream, was RRR, the uh, SS Rajamouli flick, and he's actually been getting some Oscar buzz because I think uh, he got nominated for I think best uh, foreign film, and also Natu Natu, the song is probably going to win the Oscar. Uh, tomorrow so we'll see but um, this is his 2017 film uh, Bahubali 2 The Conclusion which is actually a sequel and kind of part prequel to Bahubali uh, the kind of acclaimed uh, film as well so this one takes place as again it's right after the events of the first film um, and it's about it also kind of cuts as a prequel so it follows uh, Mahendra who's who's the star of the first film kind of beginning to learn more about his heritage and and seek answers and the story kind of juxtaposes past events that unfolded in the uh, Mahishmati kingdom. Um, so it's kind of interesting because a lot of these films, there's been some criticisms for Raz- Rajamuli because I think he's a very, um, he's kind of like a, I guess like a Cameron Spielbergian figure in, in his in his native land, but he's also kind of seen as a little bit like reactionary and kind of a nationalist, but he made, he's a, a thrilling filmmaker. And uh, I, I think it's interesting. I, I feel like so much great action stuff is coming out of India that's now getting a lot more, uh, mainstream buzz here in, in the United in North America uh, as a, kind of part of it is also a consequence to the fact that a lot of the fucking mainstream action cinema here sucks it looks terrible <laughs> yeah. the CGI is they're cutting costs on CGI it's a race to the bottom like it's so oh, I mean like the layer is it. pretty pretty terrible <laughs> yeah so I think maybe some of these foreign films that have big budgets like even in China too like these things look really good yeah something um, like the raid I, I think, mean that's pretty cool <laughs> Yeah, and uh, another one on my list, and kind of funny that he's here, uh, coincidentally, because I watched a lot of his films uh, this week and the last couple of weeks. Uh, so Aquaman, James Wan, the DC film from 2018. Um, I just want to check it out. I've heard when it came out, it had some kind of fun buzz. There's a sequel coming out soon. I think it comes out actually in a couple of months, I think, the Aquaman 2. So um interested in checking it out. I've always, I always liked the Aqua guys. Like I used to love Namor, the Submariner from like Marvel. So I have an appreciation for people that live under the sea and also a little <laughs> bit of uh seat struck 
um, trivia was I was at Comic-Con the year Jason Momoa was there and Ooh. I didn't interact with him. However, I was on my, <laughs> I wanted to sit down because there was nowhere to sit. So I sat down on my phone and I was on Twitter and my brother walked up to me and he said, Hey, did you see him? And I said, what? He's like, Jason Momoa, like just walked past you. Like he was a foot away from you. Like was coming down the hallway and i guess i was on twitter i didn't even he see almost him touched so your leg. i brushed you know the saying like, two ships passing yeah two ships passing in the night that's you my felt, you felt his energy you felt his energy jason Momoa. yeah i got the, i got uh proximal vibes i guess you know they they've leached onto me like uh like a mushroom from the last of us or something um the last one here is uh a film by uh jong jun Wang, which is uh uh, Wahi, a uh, monster boy, which is a film about uh, a man after being kidnapped as a small child um, and raised by the men who abducted him, uh, a teenage boy now for, forced to join uh, their life in crime. So it seems very intense. Um, I want to check that one out. And that's the last one on uh, my list for uh, watch list editions. And so let's talk about what we watched this week. I've watched a lot of stuff uh, over the last <laughs> few weeks. So I've actually, I added a few uh, just because it's just you and me, but I'm going to save the rest of it. I think, I think for next week, but uh, Curtis, uh, why don't you share what you've uh, watched this week? Yeah. So I added a few things for next week too, because I tried to split it up a little bit, but the first thing I watched was a, uh, BBC documentary was called The Dangerous Rise of Andrew Tate. And if you haven't heard of Andrew Tate, he's a really nasty piece of work, uh, this kind of, you know, embodiment of toxic masculinity. So this documentary, basically, they have this journalist who infiltrates his man cave and he's pretty gross. Like he wants he, he has this horrible accent and he wants, you know, he thinks men should carry sword around like <laughs> tell me you're insecure without saying you're insecure. You know? <laughs> and uh, yeah, just gross. Like uh, basically <laughs> He thinks the journalist is a folk musician. <laughs> so then he, oh, wow. when, when he finds out that the journalist is actually a journalist, he gets kind of pissed off and him and his brother make the journalist fight in this like boxing ring <laughs> in this USC boxing ring. Cause they always like having these USC fighting for some reason. And uh, yeah, t- obviously yeah. Andrew Tate is, is quite terrible, but the problem is, is a lot, a lot of, oh, yeah. uh, a lot of men are, are young men are, are buying into this kind of really toxic philosophy too. And it talks about the effects too. The second half is quite darker too. It looks at little kind of all the women who've been affected too. And also by the, the people who have been influenced by Andrew Tate. Um, so he's, he's arrested, he's facing charges in Romania. And I hope, uh, you know, maybe that'll curb this, this really toxic misogyny, but I think got, someone like Andrew Tate got kind taken of more... out by Greta Thunberg. <laughs> <laughs> Take him out. Yeah. <laughs> Email me yeah, at uh, small dick energy at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> that's great uh so uh yeah i watched that and i also watched i hadn't watched it actually this this movie but i uh stephen king recommended it and i i i'd heard a lot about it it came up in in search of darkness 3 the hitcher 1986 the original one with uh, rutger hauer um wow pretty pretty powerful film basically he plays this psychopath uh hitchhiker and uh he meets this young guy and uh jennifer jason lee is in it too there's a horrific scene in the movie with Jennifer Lacenly that I won't spoil, but I was quite shocked that they actually went through with it. And uh, yeah, I mean, um, Rutger Hauer almost has this kind of supernatural presence. Our boy, uh, Roger Ebert gave the movie zero stars. I disagree with Robert, oh. with <laughs> Ebert. I think he's missing out. I think there was, it was a really well done film. It was very intense. I think it did everything oh. it sought out to do. And I really, I really enjoyed it actually. Although the scene with Jennifer Lacenly, that was pretty brutal. Uh, so when you see it, you yeah. And I think they wanted to make it even darker too. They wanted to have like him discovering this family, and they're all covered with like blood and stuff too. Uh, oh, but wow. really good and kind of a nice, uh, cool uh, '80s film too. Um, uh, of course, I always we'll probably have another own episode on this. Um, but my girlfriend and I, when we had COVID, we watched uh, the first two Lord of the Rings movies. 
Um, <laughs> we watched the third one finally. Uh, now she has COVID, but I don't. Um, <laughs> and oh, wow. uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, obviously- she's like, she's like Sam. She took it. She's like. Yeah, oh. I can't you're like I can't be sick any longer. She's like I could be sick for you. Or yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I I love this. Well, all the movies are great too, and I think the only issue yeah. I had with this movie was that you know I don't know maybe this is a uh, criticism of token. I I didn't really like how the battle battle of Pelennor Fields ends, like with the ghosts getting rid of all the orcs i mean obviously i'm happy to see less of sauron but like you know still it's a bit of a cop-out and we watched the theatrical cut i mean i kind of miss seeing the mouth of sauron sauron bids thee welcome but um great movie <laughs> so we'll have to have an episode on on each of the episode the films i think sometime and last thing uh, yeah. i don't want to talk about and actually you might like this too because i know you like aqua things uh, i played this wonderful uh early access game called uh dave the diver and this is a game where you you basically scuba dive in this kind of tropical area. I think it's probably like Thailand or Vietnam, and you can kind of explore the ocean and see catch fish. And at night you run the sushi bars, so the fish you catch, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's done by a Korean company, so they kind of have fun with it. And they they kind of you know there's a lot of westernization too. They have like a black. Uh, a guy who runs a sushi bar and uh you know you're dave this big american guy and it's it's a really fun <laughs> game it's very very uh relaxing uh really lost story to it too it's still in early access so they only had the first three chapters of the story out but i i really loved it the only thing i didn't really like was that um and maybe this is a cultural thing too i i, I didn't really like how like all the fish you find like you can bring them to your sushi shop because i don't know we we live in this you know time of climate change and mass extinction i don't really think it's ecologically sustainable or or sensitive it's a bit insensitive to like have all these you know rare fish going to sushi bars i don't know so i didn't really like that part of the game i'm like well can i just like study them and like why do i have to put them in my sushi bar why do i have to shoot them with a harpoon i don't want that so thankfully no no whales or turtles or dolphins were hurt but like there's a lot of other rare fish that you can catch but uh it it's a great game i loved it i played about 12 hours of it and i think you probably like it too john but that's everything i watched this week what did you watch yeah, so I, I watched uh, I watched quite a, a few things the last couple of weeks. So uh, much like our last episode, I, I cut just a few of them, and I think I'll save uh, rest of this discussion for next week. I watched like a lot of James Wan of like films, <laughs> just because my wife's never seen them, and I've been oh. kind of interested in revisiting them. So I've been watching everything like Conjuring, Insidious. So I'll, I'll talk about it all soon. But um, the first thing I watched this week for the first time, actually, um, in uh, this is a 1975, the Sydney Lumet film, Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, I called this on my on letterbox. I said this is uh, to me like a TV movie. And I mean that in like this is a movie that I feel like every single day at my parents' house on AMC, this was playing or on the M channel. And I've watched it on and off over the years, just like whenever it was on, I turn it on. Never watched the whole movie in full. And I always just kind of told myself, Oh, one day I'm going to watch it. You know, I, I'm not in a rush to watch it. So finally watched it. And uh, man, it was I mean, it's it's great watching those great canon films that um, people say are amazing and are perfect films. And then you watch them and you you feel that exact same way. Mm. Um, one of the things I thought about, there's a great quote from uh, one of the Chapo uh, co-hosts, Will Manicker, about movies, talking about the idea of like art is how we receive messages transmitted from our future selves kind of to the past. And I kind of felt that quote watching this film, which feels so inspired, so modern. Um, the idea of this kind of, um, we're in the middle of this just crazy story, this character, Sonny, robbing this bank. We don't really know all that much about him personally. Like we we know a little bit about his life from what we see 
Uh, but we just see this absolute desperation and panic, this man trying to get this money uh, for his trans girlfriend so she can get surgery. And it's just like such a, a story that feels so like ahead of its time. Like mm. it's something that should have came out today. Um, I feel like if it, if, I, it was, I think... if, it, if it did come out today, some like, you know, transphobes would probably firebomb the theater or something. Too. Yeah, I know. It would be like, <laughs> oh, is, is woke culture gone too far? Uh, like, you know, there would be some fucking stupid stuff like that. Without it's even not a man or woman. It, what but, is it? <laughs> but like what I found really interesting is that, you know, Pacino's really a, kind of a son of a bitch in this movie. And like there's so mm. much that we can learn about him that uh, is actually cut. kind of reprehensible that yeah. we don't actually see. I mean, the fact that he has this whole other family, that he's cheating on his wife, that even his girlfriend accuses him of being abusive and, you know, terrible. And mm. even the resolution kind of between them, it's, it's, it's not like a classic Hollywood romance, even though it's kind of shot in a very romantic way. It's, it's a very fraught film and I, it's got so many great performances and I really came out of it just kind of uh, amazed. And I will also give love to airheads, which is the, the Adams, I think it's Adam Sandler, uh, Brendan Fraser kind of quasi remake <laughs> of this movie, which I always loved. It's fun because this movie's been parodied so much in like pop culture, kind of like Alien. So it's like I, <laughs> I felt like I watched the movie before just watching it because I've seen it on like The Simpsons or South Park or something. It's been you've probably seen the whole movie Plays, through yeah. references and you and you didn't even really know it. I think so. I think they they satirize uh, it. They they reference it too in uh, Saturday Night Fever because there's that scene where like John Travolta's like oh they cut out of. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it was it was even there. And which 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 came out probably just like five years after this movie. So mm. already had a, a pretty big uh, a big culture impact. Um another movie I watched, and I actually we watched this when we were on our, our uh staycation. Um this is uh we wanted to watch something. We only had Tubi, you know, a real app for cinephiles only <laughs> had Tubi. And I don't mean that ironically, I actually think like Tubi is like got some it's the app I'm watching the most a lot of buried treasures, yeah. Oh man, yeah, Tubi is like where it's at. So um, we were looking for something to watch on there, and uh, one of uh, my wife's favorite movies is on there, Queen of the Damned. Um, really fun film. I didn't realize this is like part of the like uh, Interview with the Vampire and Rice yeah. like, story. So it's it came, it came that, after but... Interview, yeah. Yeah, and it's like it's kind of fun. It's the idea of like vampires, which makes sense. Like vampires is kind of being like celebrities, and like the stats, this like huge rock, sexy rock star who uh, is a vampire, and you know he's just like his songs are like, "Here's how fucking evil I am. We're terrible," and everyone's like, "Woo!" There's a little bit of like <laughs> showing how more. monstrous vampires are. Yeah, and they and people want more and more. And, and I actually was laughing watching this because like it basically kind of functions as a little bit of like a like early 2000s emo twilight like and also has kind of like a donnie darko kind of affect like going on i'm trying to say affectless because of my mini so that's coming out I, I realized when i was recording it listening again i said affect like probably like 20 times when i usually say aesthetic i was trying to like counter not saying aesthetic so much so <laughs> i course corrected way too far um but yeah it's kind of funny because also i remember the ads for this movie like Aliyah. i remember being such a focus but she's not like she wasn't even really like in this movie all that much like she's in it but like i thought you know i thought just from the tr the promos and stuff that she was going to be like the the superstar of this but again it's more of like a listat type of film but i still actually kind of liked mm. it i thought it was pretty fun um also watched uh was re-watching Mr. Deeds as well, which uh <laughs> I hadn't seen this movie probably since it came out. And actually kind of I I mean, I'm sorry. I know the movie probably sucks, but I laughed a lot rewatching oh, it. Oh, I, I love really fun with laughs. it. It's it's fun, guilty pleasure, you know. Like there's so many moments that like just the whole like him rescuing the cat scene when the building's on fire, like it's it's got some of Adam Sandler's like best comedy, but I also think mm. it kind of marks a transition. I think maybe it's like little Nicky where 
you know, the the first few kind of Adam Sandler, Happy Madison films, they kind of, you know, they've they've got some they've got some camp, they got some offbeat stuff, but they're they're playing it, you know, relatively straightforward. But I feel like a film like this, Adam Sandler kind of knows that it's an Adam Sandler movie. Like he knows what you're gonna kind of get out of it. And they kind of have fun a little bit with like the tropes of the movie. Like it's a little bit like a little bit, it's almost like more to like Tim and Eric style humor. I, I really thought mm. it was a pretty <laughs> funny. Um, and there's so much of it. I remember like uh, friends know, I always say like genius, genius, like the, like the opera singer. So hearing him <laughs> say that in this movie, like I, I had a good laugh there. Um, so pretty, pretty fun. Uh, something to, to watch while you're falling asleep. And, and also, again, as I mentioned, I've been watching a lot of James Wan flicks. So I watched uh, insidious and I also watched the, uh, the sequels chapter two and chapter three. Um, fun to come back to insidious it's kind of like the shaggy dog version of like what he's doing with the conjuring films it's like mm. a little bit lower budget it's all kind of relying on really kind of plain you know home mm. i mean the home looks beautiful but it's some, some of those kind of some of those jump sca- jump scares are really good too i think the part oh, for me man, yeah. like where it's like behind his head i think that's the first one where it's yeah. like behind his and i jumped the, the one part i didn't like was where like the, the i don't know the demon was like using the whetstone and i kind of laughed and i'm like i was i shouldn't really laugh but like it was kind of funny <laughs> Yeah, I find like uh, I I didn't find it as scary this time around, but again, like I I do remember like exactly watching this movie like back in like 2012 and mm-hmm. like the first time I saw that scene, just like being terrified. Um, but I do think it's a really interesting and effective movie because I think why it works so well is that I think they do a really great job in the first half of the movie of really like making you feel that the characters are actually terrified. Like so, a lot of horror movies don't work because. I don't really believe that the characters are actually scared or they just like, they don't feel terrified. And this movie really makes like each character feel like they're losing their mind. And I think that's one of the reasons why it really mm. hits hard as the movie goes on. Uh, but I do want to give a shout out to the sequels, which I, I don't think are quite as good as, you know, uh, chapter two is it kind of plays it right after the events of the first film, but I think it's got some fun stuff going on. Kind of uh, Patrick Wilson doing his kind of Jack Torrance thing is, is kind of fun <laughs> in that. And uh I actually really enjoyed Chapter Three Insidious because it's only stars uh, uh, the 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 old woman, the kind of ghost hunter lady uh, in the movie. She's like the main character in it. Uh, I can't remember her name. Uh, oh, Elise Lynn Shay plays Elise. Yeah, she's kind of like the hero in this movie. And there's a scene where she's like, "Come get it, bitch!" to like a ghost, and I I loved it. I thought it was. <laughs> Yeah, I watch a whole a whole movie of that. Um, um. Also watched a scary movie too, which uh, has aged horrendously. Um, oh, the first, God. actually, the first half of this, the part of this that's like the Exorcist, Amityville Horror, at the beginning, that's still really funny. Like I was laughing so hard. James Woods like shitting in the bathroom. He's got flies all over his face. Oh man, comedy gold. Uh, but yeah, the, the other half of it where it's following our beloved characters like Shorty and Cindy and all them pretty terrible it's not that funny it's it was way funnier than i remember when i was a kid like I, re-watching it now there's so many scenes that i remember being funny that are actually like the pace of them is excruciating like the scene with uh chris elliott and his little hand with the mashed potatoes you know 11 year old me thought that was like the funniest thing in the world i was kind of like oh man this scene's never gonna end like it's just going on so fucking long but um i don't know why i thought it was so good when i was a kid but it, it's pretty funny um and i actually think anna, anna faris is really uh, fun in this movie and, and in all these movies like a really great like female comedian who just like uh it, it's funny because she's kind of part of that like liz lemon like tina fey camp of like movies that like play like they're they're women in it like the main character is just like 
you're terrible, you're ugly, we all hate you. Like they're just like they get the <laughs> shit kicked out of them. And it's really it makes for a really weird watch when you're watching it, but it's so funny, like how just like Anna Ferris gets like thrown through stuff, like broke like broken like tables and stuff. It's really like really fun physical comic uh um display in this film. I think it's really actually pretty funny, but the movie is kind of mid. Um also watched a, a few other ones. I'll, I'll end it soon. Watched uh, Son of the White Mare, which is an animated film. I think it's a Hungarian animated film, I want to say. Um, it's actually on movie. So if you're on movie, um, you can watch the restoration of this. Um, some of the like best animation in any movie I've ever seen. But I will admit, I watched, I tried to put this on after recording Domestic Points Only. And I watched the first 20 minutes and I fell asleep and woke up in the movie I just ended. Um, so I rewatched it and I liked it a lot more in that context. I was really inspired by marveling and the sheer beauty of its animation so uh definitely check it out but make sure you can really focus on it and that you're not tired because you will fall asleep it's a very comfy very soothing movie um i also uh recently went out to see some films uh, live here in ottawa we're actually uh, uh last wednesday it was the start of the International Film Festival of Ottawa, IFFO. I went last year to see The 20th Century, which was one of my favorite films of last year that I watched. I absolutely loved it. And it was actually funny because uh, Dan Bierney, who played um, uh, Mackenzie King in The 20th Century, has a has a role in the movie I saw for this, this showing, which was kind of funny. But the film I watched was the new uh, Chandler Levac film, I Like Movies, uh, which takes place in Burlington in early 2000s Ontario. You know, it's a suburb outside of Toronto. And it's following this young boy who's just about to graduate high school named Lawrence. He's... Um, well, as I put it in my letterbox review, he's literally me for real. Um, he's a chubby, dorky kid who eats popcorn, goes to Subway, <laughs> but is obsessed with renting movies uh, from his blockbuster or his local uh, rental store with his buddy and recording home movies on iMovie and also watching SNL every night. Um, and like I connected so much with this movie. I, I think Chandler Levac does such a great job of capturing um, like 2000s Ontario suburban NUI, a lot of shots at like Dollaramas and outside of Shoppers Drug Marts and very drab high school interiors. And what I really like, like about it is that really, I think um, the character who played Lawrence, the main character, really did a great job of capturing a specific type of like cinema buff. It, you know, the kind of cinema buff we all were as young boys aged like 12 to 17, you know you know, thought like we loved like Paul Thomas Anderson films and Tarantino. These were like the greatest films ever. And like, um, we thought the dark Knight was the greatest action film ever. And then, you know, your taste evolve <laughs> as you get a little bit older, you become a little bit more world weird, weary, but also kind of spoke that kind of self-centeredness with some of those guys. There's a little bit of, to his character, he's a bit, bit narcissistic and sexist. And it was kind of, it felt, but it felt really authentic and it made this character feel like very, deep like i i liked him i i i connected with him a lot and he's a character who has gone through trauma but at the same time you feel that he is a little bit kind of um his personality is a little bit repellent we were just talking before the show about kind of the the incel phenomena where you can kind of mm. sympathize with some of these people but also recognize the toxic traits within them that they need to yeah. resolve and i kind of saw that a lot with this character in this and i really really loved it and the movie is fucking funny as shit amazing it's one of the best canadian films to come out in the last i don't know five years it's um an absolute masterpiece and i will give a shout out because it's actually currently showing canada wide i know it just showed at ottawa for the festival but it's getting a buy town release so i'm telling everyone to check out i like movies awesome super funny 
um, really great stuff. And it has a really fun Ottawa connection to it, which I won't spoil, but Ottawa might make an appearance in the film as a setting. So uh, it was really fun uh, and I loved it. And yesterday rolled out to the Mayfair. They, they were doing a live uh, showing of a silent film with an orchestra. So there was an actual guitar synth backing, which was awesome. The, um, I mean, the famous Carl Dreyer uh, film, uh, The Passion of Joan of Arc from 1928, which I'd never seen before. So I figured, why not come see it like this? And uh, yeah, it's it's great. It's amazing. I don't know. It's, it's like one of those like canon films that every like film school kid has to watch in like year one. But it, I mean, it's it's amazing. It's it's shot incredibly well. The way the camera is, is angled and it's so stark and um just unnerving it's influenced so many films it's hard to even really get into it i mean and the uh the main actress of course who plays joan of arc i mean the expressions on her face her big dish eyes like she's just so emotive <laughs> and see so much trauma i mean elizabeth moss the, the handmaid's tale literally cashing checks just based off of her labor like <laughs> her her practice well, her role in that movie is just like watch influence. this movie and do this for five seasons and just that's copy her face just copy her face <laughs> yeah copy can you just like do this for five seasons of 13 episodes each for a million dollars a pop and you you know we'll can you just do that that's pretty much but i mean it's it was amazing really i was i was i cried because i was i found the film very impactful and emotional and seeing it with a live orchestra like it's a, such a fun way of seeing uh, silent films because that's not unlike how people would have seen some of these films back when they were first you know show you know premiered uh where you, where you had would have had actual authentic backing bands um, and seeing the the performance, I thought it was a really great one uh, for this film. So that's that's long winded. That's that's all I watched uh, this week. And I guess now we can get into you know in space, no one can hear you scream. We're talking <laughs> the classic Ridley Scott film, Alien. Uh, just to give some kind of early background, because we're gonna we're gonna have a lot to talk about. But um, just think, folks. Let's let's go back in time to when this podcast started. We did a little movie, our first John Carpenter watch series. We talked Dark Star, uh, a film that started off as a student film, but which, which actually ended up becoming a theatrical film. First directorial effort by John Carpenter, worked on by a whole team of his friends and peers. One amongst them was Dan O'Bannon, who started the movie, I believe, as Pinhead, and also was the writer of the film. And if you remember that movie, there's a whole extended sequence where these kind of space truckers stumble upon this strange alien that's come on board their ship this like floating beach ball and they're trying to get rid of this beach ball on the ship that's causing all sorts of mayhem and it's pretty silly well um dan o'bannon of course worked on this movie um but he really wasn't a fan of the net results of what had turned out like he um came away from the experience wanting to do like a proper film focusing on the alien kind of based on the same story that he had written so he began to write a story uh, that was a little bit darker. He described it as like a dark star as a horror movie instead of, instead of a comedy. So um, he also uh, had some involvement with other co-writers as well, too. Um, they actually, Dan O'Bannon had actually worked on this project for quite some time. Um, notably, one of the people that was uh, also involved in this early on was uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky, who mm. was... Uh, Dan O'Bannon had actually started working with him on Dune, and yeah. so he was kind of working on that project. That project that, that never that not. kind of fell through too. But there's a whole beautiful yeah, that, documentary on it, you know. That that exactly that fell through, and there, that took a long time of his career working on that film. Um, but it was a kind of important moment for him because while that project turned into a failure, this is actually where he met certain figures, notably the kind of infamous concept artist H.R. Uh, Giger, and that's where he met Giger, who was involved working on Dune. 
and he became kind of interested in in Giger's artwork. If you don't go, don't know about H.R. Giger, I mean, if you if you're a fan of Alien in the series, you obviously know who he is. But if you don't, he's this yeah, um, Google uh, recently, stuff, yeah, yeah re- recently deceased artist. I believe he's a Swiss artist who does like mm-hmm. um, really kind of phallic, disturbing, like techno sexual like imagery. Um, a lot of his work, obviously from this film, but has influenced other kind of works of art as well, and kind of like film and. and well, it's media, weird, but... isn't it? Because he's so like it seems like he's so afraid of sexuality, and then he always had these like beautiful girlfriends, you know. <laughs> yeah, he so... seems like a well, he seems like an odd duck to put yes. it uh, in a sweet way. Uh... He looks a bit like Klaus Kinski <laughs> in some of his pictures. <laughs> he does look like Klaus Kinski, <laughs> yeah. so it's hard not to like look at him with scorn and you know unassurance you know you're just like i don't know what to think of this guy but uh yeah so dan o'bannon of course met up and and learned of hr giger and he said his paintings had a profound effect on me i'd never seen anything that was quite as horrible and at the same time beautiful as his work and so he ended up writing a script about a hr giger monster so he was also influenced by other works as well, like um, notably uh, A Thing from Another World. You can see a lot of that in this movie. He was also influenced from a lot of like classic 1950s space horrors, stuff like Forbidden Planet, Planet of the Vampires, that kind of early decade of hard 50s kind of horror sci-fi, but otherwise uh, kind of a micro genre of kind of uh, 50s pulp B movies that didn't really like take off. Um, so he was inspired by that stuff. He had kind of pitched the movie to studios as Jaws in Space, ultimately was signed with uh, Fox. Um, he also started working with a production company called Brandywine. They actually produced, I believe, all the other alien movies as well. Um, they added like additional kind of plot points, the whole Ash subplot. They added that into the script. Um, for some world building. Um, but of course, who who did direct this film? Who is going to direct this movie? Um, when this Again, when this movie started off, no one gave a shit because it's like, oh, an alien horror in space, like whatever. And then a little movie called Star Wars came out in 1977 and every single studio was like, holy shit, we need to make a space movie. Space is where it's at. We're going to put James future. Bond in space. Everything is in space. So <laughs> this movie then got a lot of buzz and they wanted... Um, someone to direct it who was not just like a b-movie kind of corman type but they wanted someone who had some like serious gravitas so um they ended up going with really scott again really scott the duelist did a lot of heavy lifting for him they saw that movie they thought it was really a really interesting movie very kind of ornamentally detailed like the setting and the, sh- the way it's shot and all the costuming very authentic they wanted someone who could really kind of do something like that to this story in this universe. So uh, they started working on a, a storyboard and I was t- telling Curtis before the show, um, watching the documentary of this, like they built the entire Nostromo set. It was an actual like ship they built. So it wasn't like, Oh, here's the like one angle shot. That's just like a corner of a studio space. They actually hard built like the set. So the, a lot of the scenes where they're in the interior and the camera's spinning around, they actually they actually felt claustrophobic because they were in this like tight tinder box together um having to kind of move around all the hallways and how disorienting that would have felt kind of going into it um and i mean this is a movie like i guess i maybe like i'll start off saying like curtis like what was the first time that you remember watching alien or was this a movie that you grew up with at all yeah so not so much actually and i um i the first time I had an exposure to anything in the Alien franchise, I was uh, staying at a hotel in Calgary with my two brothers, and we stayed up late, and we watched Aliens on late-night TV, and I nice. fucking love Aliens. And I think Aliens, I even like Aliens more than this movie. Maybe it's blasphemous to say. Uh, but um, the first time I watched Alien, because I watched it after Aliens, I didn't have the 
quite the same effect that it does on me now too. I actually, I didn't like it the first time and I, I watch it now and I, I see it for what it is. It's a really phenomenal film and it really set the bar for so many things too. Um, but yeah, that was my kind of first experience. So I think, you know, I watched it pretty late into the game too. But it's interesting too, you know, you think about the duelist, like we talked about last time, that's kind of a rumination on on masculinity. And this one is kind of, yeah. you know, you have more, uh, a little bit more uh, gender fluidity too. You know, it doesn't matter if they're men, they're men or women or trans too, because we have Lambert too, who unfortunately is kind, yeah. kind of underused in this film. Uh, but, you know, Ridley's, you know, third in command. She's a woman too. And the, not, nobody asks questions about it too, which I think is really great. Yeah. So you do. You do have some kind of socialist aspects to it, I think, feminist as well. Yeah, it's interesting, actually, you bring that up because uh, the documentary I was watching as well, too, uh, Mary Selway, who worked on The Duelist, who was the casting director on that movie, was also really hired her to do the casting on this film. And notably, as you're saying, the characters in this film were actually written as as um, as unisex. So there was no gender given or no indication of who these people kind of were visually or, or by gender. So um, it made for a pretty large interpretation of how someone could take the character. So they wanted the reason behind that is they wanted the Nostromo crew to kind of resemble like a truckers in space, like working class crew, something that was done in dark star, but really hadn't been done in other stuff. This movie obviously was heavily inspired by 2001 space odyssey. And you could see mm. a lot, I could see a lot of that in this one, rewatching it, you know, based a lot on the, the digital technology of it and the soundscape of, of how they build these uh, ship kind of rooms and designs and how that's shot. But um, the characters definitely feel a little bit different. I mean, Kier Dali, it kind of feels like in 2001, he's kind of like a, you know, a 50s Leslie Nielsen type, even in the other stuff he's done. But in this one, it's a very working class, diverse crew, obviously, Tom Scared, Dallas, um, Yafet Kodo, you know, I just rewatched uh, Man with the Golden Gun. So I'm, uh, it was really cool to see him uh, as Parker and uh, John Hurt as Kane. Actually, it was supposed to be John Finch playing Kane, but, you know, he had just done Macbeth. But apparently they actually shot some early scenes with him, but he apparently, according to Ridley Scott, he was very sick, very ill. He was like mm. apparently turning yellow. He's like, are you all right? He's like, I feel like shit. And so like, <laughs> apparently it turned out he had diabetes. It was the first time he got diagnosed. So they ended up going with John Hurt as Kane. And it's kind of fun too, because I, rewatching this, the, the opening sequence, of course, when we learn about the Nostromo, this mm. big frigate ship with 20 million tons of ore. It's this mining ship. This crew's coming back to drop off. Huge ship. <laughs> Yeah, they're woken up out of out of their like kind of cryogenic slumber. Whenever you're space traveling, you're put into this kind of frozen stasis. This becomes a bigger plot point in the whole franchise, of course. But in this film, the point of this is that they're woken up because they receive this distress beacon and it reanimates everyone. And the first who's the first character we see? It's Kane. He's the first character. And he, kind he's of looked, he, looked, he, looked, is... he looks kind of sickly back then too, because you look at him, he has like a lot of like liver spots and stuff too. And I'm like, oh, yeah, oh he yeah. looks a little John sick. John Hurt yeah. always looked like shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> but like, he's the first character we actually see. So you're almost codified to think of him as kind of like the main character. But this is more of really like an ensemble cast. And even I was I was watching it, waiting for the big first Ripley scene. And it's not until they actually land on the distressed uh, planet and the ship, of course, gets damaged, so they have to, the crew with uh, with Lambert and everyone, they're going out to see what's what's happening, and on the ship, they're trying to fix the problem, and that's actually the first time we see Ripley, really, in detail, when she's talking with, uh, what's-his-face, the Harry Dean Stanton's character in Yaffa Koto, mm. they're kind of joking around with her. She's like, you're going to oh, get my paid boy, the contract. <laughs> Other than that, she doesn't really appear much in the beginning, so it's really interesting, that, you know, the fact that, I mean, obviously, mm. she's a big part of this series going forward, but 
for the purpose of this film, she's not really like the main. Yeah, she's very until... on the perif- peripheries until like the second half. Yeah, second half of the film, I would when say. When it becomes more like a Scooby Doo horror, it's kind of like a paint by numbers <laughs> almost. Like who's next to get whacked or whatever, and then that also kind of heightens it because yeah, um, and like there's the a lot of twists too with the. Loose. The characters who get, I think we can talk a little bit about spoilers here too, you know, with Dallas and everything oh, too. Oh, yeah. That's this a huge is a, twist. This is our you know? series. Let's, yeah. <laughs> let's fucking get into it. <laughs> the alien is Darth Vader. I mean, no, that's a different movie. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> I mean, like, I've talked to people who, who, who grew up when this film came out too, and they said that scene where, you know, because you think Dallas is kind of this very masculine, you know, character who's going to make it till the end, this kind of action. 70s 80s action hero and he's one of the first ones to get killed off you know he's in the vents and you don't see it coming then you suddenly rah, and even though he has a flame oh, it's a great scare dead. too even to this yeah. day when lambert's like it's too late he's already there whatever and like you know he's toast and then you see it right <laughs> out oh it's so good it's creeps it still scares me i don't know how i didn't blast him with the flamethrower did, did, though did you have well. a favorite uh did you have a favorite because i love ripley obviously but I, I i don't know i really like parker a lot too parker's my boy i, I love parker <laughs> In the film, yeah, I, I, I we watching and I find I find them all kind of really like engaging and likable. I don't know if I have a favorite. I mean, obviously, I think Lambert's likable because she's kind of like the audience kind of surrogate. Like she, the mm. way she reacts, the way you should be reacting, which is holy shit, this is they're, terrifying. They're very, they're very nurturing, scary. yeah. And, and she has the big scare moment because that great, that great, obviously the most important scene of the film, the one everyone talks about, the big chest burster scene. Mm. There's the way they film that is they actually like yeah, they're like the oh set god, everyone yeah. back. Yeah, and and it when it pops out of the chest, they actually had little explosive like things to pop that would basically shoot blood out. And there's a scene, of course, where you see one of the jets of blood just goes flying and hits Lambert. And Veronica Cartwright's reaction where she's screaming, of course, that's actually real. And the extended scene, she freaks out and actually trips and falls back. They don't show that part, but um, it's really like it really sells you on on the terror of it. Of course, that alien escapes and then um, kind of becomes a bit of a monster movie. I don't know. I like I like guy. With- wearing a suit alien than cgi alien personally i think it's yeah. a little bit creepier seeing this guy kind of stalk around and the scenes where he pops out it's just so unnerving like it there's it has this human quality to it but like not quite it's like human and insect kind of yeah with, with the, I mean, cat, the, other the cats films, like his... basically yeah the other alien films they're just like cgi bugs basically but in this one there's something about it that like it feels so kind of it feels more organic us yeah 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 and there's the whole just the element of how the alien attacks people like the design of this thing is just incredible like the amount of work that went into it the whole latching mouth which always creeped me out the fact that the mouth opens up and another yeah. mouth pops out and that attacks very, very yeah. phallic yeah <laughs> and um and again we were just talking when the show started we watched the theatrical cut this is the one i saw that was on disney plus but famously this movie has a an extended director's cut with uh probably one of i would say maybe it's the most famous deleted mm. scene which is the scene where um ripley is escaping from the nostroma and she actually re- sees dallas and brett and they've been actually like, cocooned by this alien and that's sort of we learn that because of this like the alien is actually trying to kind of reproduce like put these guys into the stasis so that they can then get face hugged and create more aliens instead of kind of regenerating them so they shot this whole scene the idea of this alien organism kind of metamorphosizing and and you know becoming more more and more pregnant and creating more life um they shot it like this and whatever they, they ended up cutting it out but of course this would kind of become more important and and this element of it would become part of the series the idea mm. of this kind of almost like a like a disease thing that just spreads these creatures just kind of are used yeah like it, is, it is a parasite kind of the cat. too and yeah. there's also this kind of inversion of, of motherhood too right because you know you have the womb as yeah. this kind of 
like uh, the the body is kind of a place of horror rather than kind of a place of birth yeah. and creation, you know, place of destruction. I was I was surprised like how much like the pregnancy motif is in this movie. I mean, the AI is called Mother. They're kind of these creatures inside of it. Um, even uh, maybe this is a stretch, but even like the scene where we're seeing the radar dots, I was getting like sperm egg vibes. Like it's how it's like kind of moving towards it. I'm like I'm seeing like. And I mean, of course, the really weird kill with Lambert, which was famously done the way it did because they didn't have any budget and they kind of just said, okay, whatever. <laughs> but it's very kind of disturbing the way it's shot with like the the, the sharp kind of tail. Yeah, it's very, it's very phallic. It's or kind the... of like, there's this like metaphor of rape in this movie is of like mm. just sexual. It reminds me of, of that, tree, that, that tree horror scene in De Evil Dead in, in a not a good yeah. way, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it exactly. was really well done too. Um, and I think, uh, you know, it's interesting too how they kind of explore that mythology. It's something, you know, I gotta, I gotta say, I'd love to have an episode on Prometheus. I know, like a lot of people hate Prometheus. I love Prometheus, and I'd love to have an episode. Well, we on will it. be because we're <laughs> doing our watch series. Yeah, so yeah. So we around. get to Prometheus. You know, send me all your hate mail because I, I have a good, strong defense of Prometheus. But they, they really explore some of the mythology too. You know, when they go to that planet to find the the beacon, and you see the disc jockey too, and like, who the hell is this? Like, I haven't even seen specimen. Prometheus, so I'm very excited to. to oh, I hope you like it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And oh yeah, we didn't even talk the space jockey. So the fact that they shoot yeah, like space this jockey, whole <laughs> But like the the whole this this the ship they go to, like it's so organic and the way they want they went for like how are we gonna display you know, it's the future, it's space, but like how are we gonna show it looking archaic and old and it it's all like bony and organic and even the space jockey, like again, we're not getting exposition dumps, we're just seeing this past thing for it could be thousands of years ago we don't even know and it's it's so the world building it does in it without telling you it's just it's so disturbing <laughs> and creepy and um just this film has some of the best like prop work set design the fact obviously they built the nostromo but all the stuff they did with the alien effects in this like they had a lot of money to work with but it's kind of interesting seeing really scott talk because he has such a like he's not someone who's like we're gonna do it 50 times he's like we're going to do it. And that's just how it's going to be like, and it feels more the, organic the scene, that way, doesn't it? You know? Yeah. Like the whole Ash thing when getting his head oh, whacked yeah. off and you, the, the head, the effects are a little bit cheap, but like, they were really just like, go for it. Like we're going to pour, pour milk and, all over your face. So you're going to spit it out. Yeah. It's really, it's really it. monstrous too, even though he's supposed to be like a humanoid kind of Android. I mean, you have that monstrous scene where he's like ripped apart and splurting all this organic fluid everywhere. And like, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's so interesting to watch with Ash too. Cause I think he's kind of an extension of the maliciousness of the, uh, of the company, but you also have kind of, yeah, I don't know. He's kind of programmed with this maliciousness too. He's like my sympathy. Yeah. His comment the... at the end. He's like my sympathy. <laughs> yeah, smiles. Shit. Yeah. We'll fucking yeah. turn, we'll fucking flamethrower you. <laughs> That's sort of like the, to me, it's like the 2001 part of this is like the AI. Does the AI actually yeah. hate humanity want to kill humanity or is it just, is this working on behalf well, he's, of he's very like he's very, it's very it's very like technophobic isn't it you know it's a lot like the terminator too you have kind of this sterile kind of killer and when you watch it again too like i kept watching because in the back of the frame you can always see like ash you know looking around and he always oh, has his reactions at people yes like, and when, like when, when kane's on the desk he's yeah, staring like, at he's everyone's like yeah. expressions yeah he's like yeah. don't kill it no yeah kill it <laughs> yeah but uh oh, yeah, yeah i, I fucking uh, hated him Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. And you, yeah, I mean, he, he is kind of really interesting in terms of this depiction too. And it's interesting to compare with the replicants, like with Blade Runner too. So I think that would be kind of fun to compare again too, you know, because the Blade Runner, the the replicants are trying to survive, whereas, you know, uh, Ash is just kind of programmed to uh, cause mayhem. Uh, but there's kind of some overlaps with Roy Batty too, which we'll talk about next time, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, Ash, I mean, that whole character and story is really probably like the most important part of this whole franchise. Like most of the series is based around 
um, this kind of, you know, anti kind of capitalist critique of, you know, Weyland Utani is kind of this company that's so powerful, but also deeply corrupt and monstrous. And um, the politics of Alien are kind of interesting. It was fun in rewatching Aliens because Aliens, I think people see Aliens as like a, yeah, critique against like, you know, these bad companies, but uh, Aliens is also a little bit reactionary, which I mean, we'll, we'll maybe we'll, when we do Aliens, I think maybe before we do Prometheus, we should run through all the, the Alien movies, talk about them, but um, it, it's kind of fun. It's hard not to talk about this film without thinking of all the other ones, even though yes. it really is kind of its own thing. And it's the fact that obviously Ridley Scott would come back to this with Prometheus um, speaks a lot because I think, you know, you can really enjoy Aliens and I do too. And I think just like you, I, I also think Aliens is a better movie, but mm. I think there's something to this particular story that is just so interesting and unique and just the way it designs this really disturbing kind of space future as space is just like work. And yeah. Just and the, I mean, the slog that we currently exist in just expanded outward. I love like how, you know, we talked about his sensitivity with, you know, there's a lot of feminism in the film. He's a feminist director, which is great. And it's very ahead of its time. And I think it's also very sensitive to a lot of working class issues because I was paying more attention to the dialogue between, you know, uh, yeah. I think it was Brett and Parker. And Parker? They, yeah. they're talking about like, yeah, yeah, they're not getting paid the same and stuff. And it's interesting, too. I mean, it just shows that even in space, you know, there's kind of this corporate ruthlessness and kind of working class issues, too. And I mean, there's that really gross scene where um, Brett's chasing, you know, that Jones the cat and, you know, yeah, they have that like i don't know some kind of liquid like some yeah water is dripping from the yeah ceiling. and he just yeah. like soaks himself and it's like some steam vapor but i it's still kind of gross you know but it just shows it's kind like... of like a rebirth thing going on i mean they're yeah. born in the beginning of the movie they kind of wake up their birth and in that scene <laughs> he's kind of like i just maybe just because i just rewatched i just saw passion of joan of arc but i was getting kind of that vibes baptized he's kind of staring <laughs> up and before he's getting yeah he's getting like kind of like baptized or or even ridley at the end when she's escaping the explosion and she's you see her face with the light shining on her it's very kind of euphoric and mm. like you're in the grace of god there's a little bit of that too to that i mean maybe that maybe that's really tying that into you know the biological process of birth and pregnancy with kind well, of at the, the end too it's almost like she, she's kind of singing to herself and it's almost like this kind of hymn almost too which is interesting yeah, too. holy shit man yeah it's so <laughs> interesting. there's so much interesting shit to this movie it's just it's so brilliant um uh we should also say about this movie when it came out i mean this movie obviously was like a, a pretty a pretty big hit it was like one of the biggest grossing movies when it came out i believe in 1979 when it came out it um but critically it was kind of mixed like some people weren't mm -hmm. really into it they didn't dig the whole i mean tone the tone of this movie is very interesting because you don't think it's going to be like a horror movie and then it kind of appears out of nowhere and gears, kind of yeah. twists on you and it and it plays as straight as a very kind of straightforward lunch pail horror i actually thought like the the pace of this movie after the face chest burster scene is really it really clicks along because it's really just a see a series it never of lets go yeah of events yeah and, and that's where really all the kind of deaths happen to you know? those those final moments you know like where she's trapped in that space pod and you realize the alien's still alive it's like how the hell is she going to get that beast out of her <laughs> her pod or whatever yeah. you know? I don't know if you ever played yeah. uh, one of my favorite games is uh, Alien Isolation. It take, it's with her daughter. And that's that's uh, actually the scariest game I've ever played, too, because it takes place in the role of her daughter in that time between, you know, her in the, the Nostromo and, and Aliens. Cause there's like 100 years in between, I think. And that is a scary game because you have that, that that thing stalking you and you can't stop it with a flamethrower. You can't stop it with a shotgun. I mean, it'll find you. And that scary thing. <laughs> yeah. And I, I actually haven't played... Uh alien isolation i've been oh, wanting to because it looks terrifying but and there's actually there's um, actually a section of the game at the end too where there's like a special uh episode and you can actually go in the nostromo with parker and uh lambert and like oh, really? hunt down the alien which is pretty cool yeah 
Oh, that's that's interesting. That's cool. I, I definitely want to check that out. So, uh, yeah, this movie critically it was kind of mixed, but like over the years, obviously, it's now been. It's just like with the thing, another kind of mm. similar dark, bleak kind of space alien horror that yeah uh, roger probably gave it zero stars like, but he'll give it four stars now yeah <laughs> yeah and maybe and maybe my my kind of take is that maybe some of these critics they grew up on like 50s pulp sci-fi yeah as kids maybe they can't see these films as not like as they're just they just mm-hmm. see them as an extension to these but as they when yeah. they watch those 50s movies as kids they just saw them as like pulpy schlocky they didn't connect with kind of the deeper horror that adults well, i think did. i think when this were like godzilla film yeah buffs who who grew up watching the films on on shitty tv thinking they were dumb and then you watch them now and they're beautiful film like panoramic movies with really thrilling stories about like the military industrial complex or the effects Pier- of world Pier's war nuclear Japan, trauma yeah yeah and, and the acting might be hokey in some of them but they they have serious stories and they're worth watching them well it's it's like when the original star wars came out too and carl sagan bless him he said that uh, he didn't like it because he said you know when they're on other planets they could just breathe oxygen and i'm like that's not the (laughs) point carl you're missing the point you're brilliant but you're missing the point (laughs) jesus yeah well yeah he didn't he didn't get it at all he couldn't couldn't just uh take the hat off i suppose no (laughs) bless him yes but uh this movie you know it didn't it wasn't so critically beloved but it did it did get some award buzz actually at the uh, 1980 uh academy award alien one for best visual effects so this was like an early movie to win uh for kind of the special effects and then the special effects obviously this are quite good and all the practical work as well this film of course has had numerous releases so i grew up on watching this movie my dad had it on tape so i watched this on tape along with aliens but the, the one of the biggest memories i have of this movie was actually in in 2003 they released the alien quadrilogy box set which had all four movies with like tons of special features it had the director's cut of this movie it had all the cuts of all the other movies and it came in a big big box and i remember watching that one as a kid with my dad i think we got it he got it for christmas and like i remember over the holidays just like watching all the movies with him and we would just like all day be watching all the interviews and everything like it's a movie that i really associate with watching with my dad so like to me i have good memories of, of this and in the years since this movie's also gotten more recently um it's on blu-ray it's on disney plus that's where i watched it it got a uh, i think a 4k restoration for its 40th anniversary just a few years ago so um and you know we were just talking video games um alien has a huge spin-off i mean all the alien stuff to come the tie-in with predator with alien versus predator many video games of this whole series not so much of the first alien i guess alien isolation is kind of like that but a uh, lot of video games based on the sequels. I, I want to give a shout out to the uh, Nintendo DS game, Aliens Infestation, mm. which is uh, by uh, WayForward and Gearbox. It's kind of like a 2D side-scroller, kind of like Ooh. the Alien 3 games on Super Nintendo, but it's yeah. really fun. You play as different characters. Really, really cool game. Because I love the Alien 3 games. Those are great. I might have those for the outro for this episode, I think, too. Oh, Much yeah. better than the movie. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's even a there's an Alien vs Predator game I played on PS2. That's a it's like a turn based strategy game where you play as like different like eggs or the chestburster. It's very odd, and I mean there's so much media that's been inspired by Alien and Aliens, of course. But like you know, Halo with the flood is obviously meant to be kind of like Alien and Metroid, the video game Metroid. The way we have this Starcraft, quiet, synthy, yeah. dark disturbing space thriller with space jockeys and everything very much based on alien um mm. ripley uh the, the character ridley uh the giant uh space cowboy like uh uh pterodactyl thing is named after ridley scott from alien so 
has that connection. And uh, yeah, there's just so many influences from this movie, um, even in other films as well, too. Pretty much any space horror that's come out since. Um, even something as schlocky like, I don't know, the, the Cloverfield Paradox owes a lot to Alien, <laughs> just the way any movie relying on these like sets of like, spaceships and being claustrophobic and spacious and you know kind of like haunted the kind of like the spaceship is like the haunted house uh kind of metaphor so anything doing to that is is coming from this movie so it's it's one of the more influential films i think we've we've talked about on this uh, show hmm. yeah i think so and you know huge influence too i think there's another one colonial marines too where uh you know i don't want to get yeah. too much aliens away because we'll have that for another episode but it kind of like mm-hmm. revises the storyline I, I heard it wasn't very good but i mean at least uh hicks is still alive so in that time frame timeline yeah 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 so i guess uh um if you don't have anything more to add we can maybe move on to uh i guess giving our yeah. ratings for this movie yeah so uh quinn couldn't join us but quinn did say he gave it a five out of five he gave it 100 so percent. we got it. <laughs> 100 hundo p so we got his score uh locked in so uh curtis what would uh what would you give this one so i love this one a lot i gave it four and a half out of five too i think the only reason i didn't give it five out of five is because uh i think just my experience and it might be nostalgic too just with aliens watching for the first time that was just the perfect action horror experience for me and it's hard kind of coming from that into alien i think if i'd watched alien first or if i'd grown up watching alien i, I would have you know given it but i think as a piece of filmmaking it, it's it's excellent too i mean there's some things i i i would have liked to see more i would like to see lambert's character being a little bit more uh utilized i i felt like they were kind of a, a red shirt character in some ways too but also mm-hmm. like you said kind of a kind of a nurturing figure as well too um but yeah i mean it's great you know you have this huge ship too and just like the, the way he presents it is so interesting too you have this sterile very damp uh ship and you can feel like you could feel that the heat too you know when you see that the ha- flamethrower you can feel the heat steam and everything yeah, too, yeah. you could feel the cold I, I guess it's cold there they always have those like long sleeve shirt things on um i always want to dress as brett for ha- halloween but he has so much like aspects to his costume it's really complicated but yeah i loved it i think it's one of really scott's uh great films i'm i as i said too i'm a huge prometheus fan too so i'm excited when we get to prometheus too uh alien covenant not as much but you know we'll get to that eventually as well uh what did you think of it i mean this was an easy five out of five for me this is one of my favorite movies i could have done a canon episode on this movie as well um yeah it's interesting scott you know obviously influenced by kubrick in 2001 you see a lot of that in the way this is shot and they both are you know similar generation of men from uk filmmakers that like their movies are so they're the movies that all the nerds on twitter geek out about for like every frame (laughs) of painting shot tweets or whatever like they're so in you know intricate and designed and they're they're kind of also like douchebag megalomaniacs but you know that's just their personalities but like you know they're they're skilled craftsmen even if they're a little bit uh they're they're dedicated almost so much to their vision that they're a little bit caustic but um i still i still obviously love this i think it's it has that kind of slickness but visually but in the design of the film it's a little bit grungier which i like it's not as as kind of clean cut as 2001 um but you know he's not going for that here but you know scott's future of space transportation it's kind of like our current commercial transportation environment with trucks and truckers Mm -hmm. and it has this like blue collar grit to it and um it's kind of interesting because scott kind of talks about this film really as almost just like a just as a straightforward monster movie he's like once the once the monster appears it becomes a monster film and he cites a film that i saw watching this which is texas chainsaw massacre where you know in that film these characters it's a kind of a different movie to start it's almost more of like a comedy they end up at this strange place and then this creature appears and disturbing deaths occur and it's it very much has a kind of texas chainsaw style to its horror and 
we again, you know, Leatherface, we barely see Leatherface in that movie, and we barely see the alien here in mm. a lot of its horrors. The fact that we don't see the alien, we hear it, we just it's not it's always peripheral. Even when we do see it outside of those big gaudy close-up shots, we just see it kind of emerging out of the back frame, or it's really creepy how it mm. how it appears or how it entangles itself too. That's yeah, very um, much like Jaws too. You just you don't see it. It's just what you don't see is for the the fear that it creates too, you know. Yeah, and I really connected with its, you know, on it's a, basically an ensemble cast movie for most of its runtime. I mean, we're so we're coded, we're clued in from the series from our prior knowledge to focus on Sigourney Weaver, and it's interesting too because even though I don't want to go horny mode, you know, Sigourney Weaver, <laughs> beautiful woman, no question, mm-hmm. but there, she's she's also very androgynous and hard just mm-hmm. visually as her body, and I think it works with her character, and it kind of helps all the characters kind of blend together. They're all kind of yeah. plain unassuming um there's nothing about them that really stands out they all look like plain people like normal people yeah no offense harry dean stanton but yeah they look like normal well, she, people she has like, like an guys you like see anywhere she has like an engineering background and she has leadership yeah. qualities too and i mean she is fully capable of i mean if anyone <laughs> if parker and lambert had survived i think she would have been capable of probably bringing everyone back at least as much as she could have <laughs> yeah they look like people if you work a warehouse job like you'd see people yeah. like this they look like authentic uh Nine to five. humans yeah <laughs> yeah and you know again rewatch this was my first time revisiting this movie since dark star so it was really cool to see the kind of influence the proto stuff that was done in that movie. I like, yeah, I liked it a lot um, more than Dark one. Star. Yeah, <laughs> and I love my Foley work. This is one of the great Foley work films. There's so much sound. You know, Scott fills the ship with beeps, chunk, clunks, kachunks, like so much alarms and noise, and how they because they're relying on kind of data technology to show the future. They're using kind of symbology and noise and sound to really kind of carry that. And there's so much of these strange interfaces there. So he's two for two because the duelist has amazing fully work with its sword fighting. And I loved it here. And I also clued into, again, that whole birth kind of pregnancy thing. Like there's the whole idea, again, of of birth, like of motherhood um, organically, but also kind of theologically. So it's kind of cool to see a little bit of that there. So, I mean, love this film inarguably influential for the next 20 plus years of space horrors and it's immediate sequel to come it's kind of interesting because you know um uh james cameron did aliens a movie that was you know for considered the better sequel one of the best sequels ever a movie that would create the the roadmap for the next 20 30 years of action uh blockbuster filmmaking and james cameron did that to himself with terminator which is a much more hard science serious horror kind of more inspired by like uh Halloween and then James Cameron upped himself with T2 which is almost like the aliens equivalent of of that movie so um kind of interesting that they would have such an influential sequel that would Yeah carry James James Cameron too. <laughs> and that's a and those are great movies. So if you like the series because you like the the creatures and the shooting and action that's fine but I love the fact that we also get this kind of more serious inquisitive story uh, you know focusing on like Wayland Newton we got a little bit of that more in the the series to come which i haven't seen again i haven't seen prometheus i haven't seen even alien oh Covenant. you're for treat <laughs> um, apparently according this month they're starting production on the newest alien movie which i believe really scott's involved in so wouldn't that be something if by the time we wrap this watch series a new alien movie will have come out and that I, would be pretty that would be i think it's is, is your first time going to prometheus what i might say is that try and go into prometheus like maybe not thinking of it might be hard to but try not think of alien in mind because i think if you watch it maybe more as a standalone experience it might be even more enjoyable i, I know i i liked it i loved it so maybe i'm i'm a bit biased but that's what i heard if you really want to you don't want people to hate your baby you're like come on yeah. <laughs> it's a good movie well i know people i hate my baby hard <laughs> 
Yeah, so overall, it got a, uh, from based on our ranking, so two fives and a 4.5, it's got a 4.8, so, I mean, this is about as universal praise yeah. as you can say. If you're, Everyone watching this has seen Alien, almost certainly, but if for some reason you haven't seen Alien, what are you doing? Watch it. You can rent it. It's at any store you go to. It's going to be on DVD or Blu-ray. If you have Disney+, Plus, it's on Disney+. Plus. In fact, they have all the Alien and all the Predator movies on Disney+, Plus. so you can watch all of them. You can get fully into the series and then when you're done that you can uh play all the video games and read all the <laughs> comics it's it's kind of wild how this thing created such a big universe but um the movie itself is is great and it's a classic and um we watched the theatrical version i would say the director's cut is is a fun one to watch because it does have that great extended sequence but you don't have to watch it i would say both both are good both are valid certainly yeah so that's uh that's our second entry in the ridley scott series yeah what do we got coming um, up next week i think it's uh that's I think. Triad. Well, I think actually we have Blade Runner on deck, so that's oh, Blade the Runner. Third okay. Movie he oh, did, that'd be good. Yeah. So we got... I have never seen Blade Runner. I oh, know. you have I'm not. Like... We have to watch Blade Runner. Never and then, seen it. Then in twenty forty nine, watch it as like a double bill because that would I, be. I'm shitting on people. I haven't seen Alien. Meanwhile, I haven't seen Blade Runner. Everyone's like, bro, <laughs> watch, you watch seen, them like, both. The v, watch them both in one Steampunk. weekend. <laughs> yeah. So I'm gonna watch. Uh, yeah, I think I might watch uh, twenty forty nine as well too to kind of get up to speed. Yeah, do it, man. It's great. Yeah. But yeah, we're going to be doing Blade Runner, our next watch series. Maybe we'll do that next week or, or the week after. We'll see. We're we're all kind of very busy right now. Our schedules have been kind of mixed. So um, we, we've dropped. I just dropped a bonus one in between the period of time since we last recorded going through recently my favorite watches, TV, movies, etc. of 2022. If you're a loyal listener, if you've listened to every single episode, some of it might be a bit redundant. But if you only check in here and there. Uh, maybe it's a good point to kind of catch up on some movie stuff and get some recommendations as well too because i kind of see list making like stuff like that is you're trying to be true to yourself and talk about what you like but you're also being a bit of like a like a, a curator i'm trying to be like you know what here are the things i singled out here's why i like them and here's maybe why you might like them if you kind of have similar interests or or that sort of thing so there's that aspect to it as well um but yeah we're going to be doing that we're going to be having a movie that i'm excited to talk about i was going to do it as a canon film but um, we're just at the, I believe, the 90th anniversary of the release of King Kong, the 1933 classic, one of my favorite movies. Very excited that's going to be coming up uh, some point soon. Um, I'm going to have another uh, canon pick coming out soon. It's going to be, I would say, my favorite movie. Like, I don't know if I, I mean, I have a hard time picking a favorite, but it's definitely the movie that's my favorite that I've also watched the most times. I almost watched it yesterday, too. It's uh, Back to the Future, so we're going to be talking oh, great. Excellent. that one as well, too. Uh, a movie that I, yeah, I've seen that movie probably 30 times. Like I, I'm obsessed with that movie. Yeah. So, oh, it's a kid's Marty. <laughs> oh, this is heavy. There's that heavy again. Oh my God. We don't even like to do it. But uh, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about that. I think uh, Quinn's got a canon movie too. I think we're doing a uh, jailhouse rock. The Elvis movie. Oh, that'd be I, good. I haven't I seen that I, one. I saw that a long time ago. So I'd, I'd be fun to check that one out. And we got some of Curtis's canon coming up as well, too. We're going to be doing, uh, I think, Rolling Thunder. Yeah, one of, them. one of Tarantino's hot pit picks, so it should be fun. Yeah, Vietnam, so we got Vietnam some Wars. of that. Uh, Young Tommy a, Lee Jones. Do, I, I have an episode on the on the radar. I haven't scheduled it yet, but I've been reading a book uh, called Real Ottawa, Ottawa, which is sort of like a, it's a memoir of a local kind of TV movie, sorry, critic, but he, he writes the book talking about all the theaters he grew up with in Ottawa, like the ones that still exist, like the Bytown Mayfair, but a lot of the ones that have gone, like the the Elgin and uh, all the other other ones, the Somerset Theater, like the famous ones in the city that have gone away in the last 20, 30 years. So talk, and like, you know, the Britannia Drive-In, which I very, I remember very briefly when I was a kid, the Britannia Drive-In. Yeah, I think my parents and, went and there too, go. yeah. 
Yeah, I never I never went sadly, but I remember when they tore it down and put in the the, the Coliseum there. Like that was a big moment. But uh, talks about a lot of the defunct theaters and kind of the history of early movie going in Ottawa. Uh, kind of fun because I, I remember my dad. My dad grew up uh, walking. He used to walk to the um, the Nelson Theater. Of course, now the Bytown Theater. But back then in the 50s, it was yeah, um, Nelson Street. <laughs> Nelson. And he used to he used to go there to see like B movie horrors for like five cents and it's kind of funny because there's been some discourse mm. on twitter about people seeing some of these like restorations like possess possession at like hoity-toity new york cinema in la like at the metro glyph or at the chinese theater or the new beverly and be- people getting upset because people in the audience are laughing and goofing and it was kind of funny because my dad talks about seeing movies at like what is now the Bytown, like back in the 50s and people would be smoking and they'd be like having sex or like throwing candy at the like screen like people didn't give a shit back then and now <laughs> these these old theaters are now only for serious art house shit no laughter no <laughs> no fucking around it's kind yeah. of funny i'm like i don't know a part the theater experience has always been about you know being a dick and whatever and goofing off i don't know it's part of the part of the risk you take going out yeah. to the movies. that's part of the charm of it i, I suppose just so, wait till they see um, go to the, rocky horror <laughs> yeah but the reason i bring that up is i wanted to do an episode talking about just cinema in general like um our first experiences that we remember going to the movies and maybe the movies that we know in Ottawa or elsewhere that we've gone to the cinemas that we really like. And what is it we love about going to the cinema? Because the, the discourse on Twitter every day, all day is always, you know, cinema's dying. The movie theaters are going away. And, you know, whether that's totally true or not is up for debate, but there's, there's something to be said about the actual experience of going to the movie. So maybe we can talk a little bit about that as mm-hmm. well. And don't worry, one day we're going to have an episode talking streaming. Cause I have a lot of apps I want to plug and talk about because <laughs> that would be fun as well too, just to run down, but that's all to say. That's that's it for I think this week. Anything you want to mention or plug uh, as well, Curtis? Uh, no, I think that's it. I'm going to probably do a one-off. I mean, maybe I'll do more depending on interest yeah. too. I might do a little YouTube video just talking about my favorite more horror movies from last year. I one of my favorite streamers uh, here streaming again. Uh, John Wolf, who does a lot of horror game uh, streaming, uh, he did it too, and I was kind of inspired to try that too. So I might have a go oh, just cool. looking at my top ten. I think so. That'll be coming up soon <laughs> nice that'll be fine that's all i got that should, be, that should be good cool cool so folks take care we'll see you again remember in space no one can hear you scream um and if you see any weird eggs on the side of the road don't check them out don't look at them stay away all right take care everyone bye watch out for scary easter eggs <laughs>